Welcome to Library Safety and Security with Dr. Steve Albrecht. I'm the very same Dr. Steve Albrecht, and this podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0 and produced by the founder of Library 2.0, Steve Hargadon. My topic for this half hour is special libraries. We're going to be talking about security and safety issues and some patron concerns in libraries of university, college, university libraries, or in law libraries. I don't have a lot of experience with K-12 libraries and school librarians, so that'll be a topic for another time. But today I'd like to talk about some of the concerns I've seen, especially when I've come in to do training at college and university libraries and also in law libraries in counties around the United States. Most of my experience in law libraries has been in California, where I came from, and I have experience in university libraries around the country. So I'll make some remarks about the types of patrons that I have seen and some of the concerns that have come to my attention, mostly from the employees at law libraries and college and university libraries. If your experiences are different, certainly take what you need for our conversation today. One of the things that I have seen most in law libraries is the confused, angry, irritated patron who sometimes has mental illness concerns, uh, sometimes not, who really wants some free legal advice from the law library staff. And many of the law library staff that I have met have, have uh, legal backgrounds, paralegal backgrounds. Some of them are attorneys themselves or have, have uh, graduated from law school and are waiting to take the bar exam, that type of thing. But by most of the counties that I have been to for law libraries, they're not allowed by statute to give legal advice to law library patrons. So here we have a certain intersection of those types of patrons who want some free legal advice about some complex issue that the staff is not allowed by statute by law to give them, and you can see the conflict there. My experience with some of the more difficult patrons in law libraries are the ones that are mentally ill and attempt to go pro per or pro se, which means they want to sue some entity, typically the government, sometimes the federal government or the state government or the city or county government. They're trying to sue on behalf of some issue, some legal issue that, that concerns them. They fill out the paperwork. They try to get the representative entity in the feds or the state or the city or the county served with the lawsuit. Oftentimes, if it makes it to the, to the judge and makes it to some court proceeding, it gets thrown out. And oftentimes, the reason it gets thrown out, at least in my experience that I have seen, is because the person didn't fill out the forms correctly. As a result, when they go pro per or pro se like this, they have a kind of an angry attitude, an angry affect about the whole procedure and, and their work, all the things they filled out and all the forms that they filled out and turned into the court didn't uh, pass muster. It makes them extremely angry. So I've, I've seen this type of, of patron who sometimes has fairly significant mental illness issues. They want to sue the government for sometimes often frivolous things. In a worst-case scenario, they can be labeled as what's called a vexatious litigant Vexatious litigants are, as you might understand, are people who continue to sue and sue and sue for frivolous reasons. You know, the sun has come up and, and blinded me in my, in my home, and I'm going to sue the government based on that. And oftentimes, they're not allowed to file lawsuits anymore. So that's a frustrating standpoint for them. I think also that we've seen a fair amount of patrons experiencing homelessness use the law library as a quiet place to come in and get out of the weather and to sleep or to to 
pretend to do research and when actuality they have nothing that the law library is going to help them with. And so that can be a challenging conversation for the law library staff to say, sir or ma'am, can I help you? Is there a specific legal issue that, that you need help researching? And the answer is no. So we have to have that difficult conversation where we ask the homeless patrons to leave the library if they're being disruptive. Also, I think that there's a sense sometimes that the law library is a, a complex place for people who have never been in it and don't know how it works. And so members of the public may need kind of a, a primer as to how to use the law library for various things that they may have to do to support a legal case that they're, they're involved with. Um, oftentimes the attorneys, uh, brand new ones, maybe fresh out of law school or in law school, law students may not have the best understanding of the law library environment as well, and so they may have to be brought up to speed about what can be done there. So when I look at kind of a, a different end of the spectrum is sometimes we have the most challenging patrons in law libraries tend to be exasperated, impatient, angry, entitled attorneys or people in the legal profession, uh, people that are working for law offices or working for judges and things like that are in a tremendous hurry. They need some piece of information. They need some citation or court case or whatever it happens to be, and they take out their frustration and their impatience on the law library staff. So sometimes I have seen um, lawyers who have kind of developed a reputation as being obnoxious and they're kind of frequent flyers. They come in and they really mistreat the law library staff. In my world, that, that is not appropriate and we need the library, law library director to reach out to either that individual attorney or that, that law office or, or, or a county court employee or their employer or their boss and say, not appropriate, not, not what we do to our staff here. You can't mistreat our folks when we're trying to do our best job for them. I also think that, that um, people in the law library environment in general, unless they're just doing some sort of research which is not time-oriented or, or really connected to something that has a sense of urgency to it, kind of feel like people at the airport. Going to the airport is kind of a stressful thing if you have to get on a plane and you're not a big, big flyer. Uh, you're worried that you're going to miss the flight. You're worried about the weather. You're worried about the trip. Um, you can be a little bit stressed out at the airport when you're picking somebody up. Is the flight on time? Is it delayed? Where am I supposed to get them? It's kind of the same at the law library, which is uh, people sometimes come in there and they're under stress just based on the very nature of, of the law itself, which is antagonistic sometimes and adversarial. I mean, let's face it, lawyers get paid to argue on, on other folks' behalf. And so sometimes that kind of sense of of of, of ill ease and, and stress really comes out in the in the law library patron. I look at the, the people that come into the law library as needing the same things in a, a regular city or county library, which is uh, a safe place to do research and to do work, um, but also the idea that, that the staff is vigilant about safety and security issues. The staff has some patience and empathy, especially with those people who can be entitled and, and a little bit rude and who have this sort of lack of, of patience themselves. We have to have the kind of patience for them where we talk to them, we let them vent, we validate their concerns. And we offer some options, I think, too, and certainly the law library employees know this better than I do, but the things I have seen is, is referral to legal aid society, referral to various pro bono uh, law groups and even law offices that do pro bono work. I have seen for certain types of, of minority groups, like in California, we had La Raza lawyers who would uh, volunteer at the law library and on certain days and provide legal advice, free legal advice for uh, Latino uh, residents that came in and had specific legal concerns. I've also seen 
homeless uh, advocacy uh, taking place at the law library, like a, a Tuesday night session where the law library opens up to, to individuals who are homeless and they can get some of their tickets cleared up. Uh, they get help and support from practicing attorneys and from law students. And, and there's ways to really expedite that encounters with the city and county law enforcement for tickets and warrants and things like that that they can get cleared up fairly effectively. So I think that's really a, a good option as well. So the bar associations may have specific pro bono type activities they can do that the law library can support. We may see some uh, pro bono uh, uh, attorneys working in there as well for various things. Um, if I look at really the, the sense of the rules and boundaries in the law library, it's the same as any other city or county library. We have an expectation that, that folks can come in there and use the facilities and use the internet and use the books and the stacks uh, safely and effectively, just like everybody else. We're explaining the, the rules, we're explaining how things work in the library, and the idea that, that there's an expectation of safety and security for both the patrons and the staff, and we want staff to be firm and fair and consistent and reasonable when they're interacting with all kinds of people that come into the law library. When we look at another possibility in, for the special libraries, it's the university libraries. Here, we have a, a wide variety of, of, of different types of choices. We have university libraries and large college facilities, which have enormous libraries, you know, five, six-story libraries um, that are open a tremendous amount of time and hours, you know, starting from very early in the morning till, till the evening hours. And sometimes law library or um, college libraries are open 24 hours during exam weeks and during finals. I've seen that as well all the way down to a one-room library that may be run by a community college librarian and just have one or two people on staff there. So a wide variety of possibilities for what a college or university library looks like. But I think we have the same sort of concerns at a college or university library that we do at a law library, which is sometimes we can't really pick our patrons, can't pick our customers. Uh, obviously, in a, in a college or university library, you have all kinds of people of all different ages ranging from 14-year-old geniuses who are, who are college students up to people in their 60s or 70s who are taking college classes and need to use the library. So you can't judge a book by its cover in the college or university library and say, well, this person is obviously a student and has the right to be here. This person is obviously not a student and doesn't have the right to be here. So college and university libraries have an open campus situation usually. I mean, I have seen access cards and key card systems for some college university libraries where only students, registered students who are given a key card access can come in the library, but that seems to be more rare. I, I see most libraries that I have been at uh, where anybody can come in, including the public, and they have access to the same things as a city or county library, the computers, the stacks, the internet, uh, asking, asking questions of staff, et cetera. So we have a pretty wide variety of people that could come into the college or university libraries, ranging from young students to old students, faculty members, support staff, graduate students, grad assistants, grad teachers, uh, staff that works at the, at the college or the university. Certainly we can have non-students, we can have trespassers, people that have no business being there but come in again to get out of the weather or just to see what's going on and certainly there's an opportunity for some people who are crooks to steal things from, from folks that aren't paying attention. 
backpacks, purses, wallets, tablets, cell phones, things like that. Uh, there's a lot of expensive uh, material and uh, electronics sometimes in, in uh, college university libraries. Um, laptops and TV sets and things like that abound in those, uh, those places. So we need to pay attention to uh, the assets that we have and to make sure that the people that are in there are not leaving their stuff and wandering off when they have expensive tablets and, and just also even think about the cost of the average textbook, 60 or $70 that somebody leaves laying around. That, that's an asset as well. Um, there are lots of places that buy back textbooks. If you got your backpack stolen and you had 300 bucks worth of, worth of textbooks in it, you'd be plenty upset. So I think there's a duty for library staff in college and university libraries to remind folks that they've got to watch their own stuff. It's kind of like what we do in city or county libraries where we have um, parents who may not be paying very close attention to their kids, especially little kids. They get engrossed in something on the internet or they get engrossed in a book and then they look up and where's their six-year-old. So there's an expectation, I think, that, that library employees at all levels are supposed to keep a weather eye out for kids and backpacks and purses and expensive things like that, but it's very difficult to do. So I think we've got to put the onus of responsibility back onto the individual college student or the person who's sitting at the, at the desk and say, you know, at the, at the tables, you've got to watch your stuff. Uh, I can't be everywhere to see, and I don't want to make sure that none of your things get, get stolen or, or, or touched. So you've got to pay attention to taking care of your own, your own stuff. I think one thing that, that I have seen in the university college library is the entitled student. This, at, at its worst end of the spectrum, is the I pay your salary student. This is the, my father built the, the wing at the science lab. Uh, my parents donated the, the gym equipment at the football. Y you know, the idea that this kid is, a, is an athlete or is kind of in on, on a legacy scholarship because his parents went there, and as a result, his behavior can be ranged from obnoxious to entitled, which is really tough on the staff because... We can't pick our customers. I mean, you, you certainly can't kick this kid out of the library unless their behavior is really outrageous or egregious. But that also means, it doesn't mean that they're allowed to mistreat staff or be rude or obnoxious. And I think about some of the solutions to those types of entitled students. You say, okay, uh, maybe we need to have a conversation with the dean of students. Maybe we need to have a conversation with some of the faculty advisors. Maybe we need to have a conversation with some of the department deans or the department chairs about certain types of, of students and their rude or inappropriate behavior so that those folks can intervene on our behalf and say, look, we're here to provide a service, but it's not allowing to mistreat our staff members or be obnoxious or rude to staff members who are simply trying to help the student get through the, get through the, the term. If you look at sort of the flip side of that obnoxious student and flip it over to the staff member, the faculty, um, I, I've seen cases where obnoxious or rude faculty members really feel like they can trample on college or university em employees at the library because they have tenure. And, they can, and theoretically, they cannot be fired. And I've seen lots of stories of, of really inappropriate behavior amongst teachers and people with tenure just thinking because they have, have tenure that they cannot be removed from their position. As a result, they feel pretty free to mistreat people. That, again, should not stand. And even though this person has tenure, I think in uh, we look to the library director, we look to the dean of the library, we look to the vice chancellors or whoever are that happen to be running the library at the college or university and say, you, leader, need to have a conversation with somebody in a responsible charge position over that particular academic 
um, subject area. So if we have a you know a professor that's that's obnoxious, we go to that dean or that particular college dean and talk to theoretically who that person's boss is. Now, I know it's tough to fire those folks based on on the things that they do or don't do once they have tenure. But at least we can have a conversation saying, can you ask this person to be more polite, more empathic, more considerate when dealing with our library staff who just wants to help and just wants to help this professor get on his or her way once they've acquired the information that they need. So at kind of one end of the spectrum, we see the, the obnoxious student. At the other end of the spectrum, we see also the, the professor um, who has that same sort of sense of, of entitlement. When we look at the environment of the, the college or university library, most of the kids in there are trying to study and to be quiet and, and cram a lot of information into their, their heads in a short period of time to be able to make it through finals. Um, there's a sense of, of anxiety about that whole process that we ask the staff to be patient with the fact that these kids are paying a lot of money and their parents are paying a lot of money and a lot of student loans in order to be in that environment. And then we want to be empathic and patient and supportive as we can um, sometimes these kids fall asleep because of the course loads they're taking and they're cramming and studying. I've seen uh, libraries that are open 24 hours during finals week, which is a whole other set of stressors on the staff. If you've never worked a graveyard shift in any job, it's, it's difficult. I've done it a lot, and it is not easy. Um, that's, a, that's a tough thing to have to do in, during, uh, during finals week. So can we have a, a sense of patience with that, with that group, but also are we making sure that we're enforcing our, our code of conduct for the, for the college or university library firmly, fairly, consistently? Are we being supportive, but also making sure that folks follow the rules? And when we look at the idea of, of, of consequences, we want to make sure we're fair to everybody. It could be a part-time student. It could be a full-time student. It could be a younger student, older student. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter who they are, it just matters that, that we're firm, fair, consistent, reasonable in asking them to follow our policies and we're doing the right thing on their behalf. When I look at, at other possibilities of libraries that are kind of special libraries, there's a lot. And there are science libraries inside organizations and there are medical libraries inside medical schools. And again, my, my weak area in terms of knowledge of those two plus the ones that I don't know a lot about is the, the school librarian situation. So those of you that have colleagues that work in, for school libraries and, and especially in the K through 12 environment can really get a lot of help and support from those folks about how they deal with, with students and how they deal with the toughest student of all, I think, which is the seventh, eighth, ninth grade type of kid. I remember my daughter, who's, who's uh, 27 years old now, uh, my, my daughter was that young. She was really tough because she was going through the usual puberty and hormones and, and uh, kind of craziness that that 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th grade type of kids tend to be, especially around authority figures, especially around teachers, and especially around parents where they're trying to exert their, their, their um, sort of influence and power that they have over, over their domain, and it's pretty tough on them. So if you have colleagues that work in the K through 12 environment and, and can provide you information about how to deal with the teenagers that come into your library. Uh, if you have colleagues that are, that are young adult and, and teenage and children's librarians in your own facility, and they can tell you about the best ways, the best practices, the best tools, the best things to say, the best resources, how to redirect some of these kids that are, that are in the library when they come in, that's really a, a great resource for you to have. So 
pick and choose the, the folks that have really specific expertise in the areas that, that you may not know as well. You may have really good experience with uh, working with adults, but not so much with, with younger kids, or you may have really good experience working with, with adults, but not so much with teenagers. Can you come across some of your colleagues that have really good expertise in these areas? So when I look at the, the library experience for these special libraries, it's really kind of the same thing for the city and county libraries that, that we serve and, and that I've been talking to and, and training for all these 20 years. But what can we learn from these specific environments? And also those folks that work in a law library and those folks that work in a, in a uh, college university library, what, what challenges do you see and what things that, that have you seen, especially if you've worked in a, in a regular library, city or county library, that makes it different where you are? And what are the things that make your, your, your work in that particular environment so much different? So we've talked about some ways to think about each of these environments. We've talked about some ways to go back to sort of the same tools as a toolkit as we would use for any customer service environment, patience, empathy, good communication skills, venting and validation, letting people vent and validating their concerns, agreeing with them, enforcing boundaries, enforcing consequences, being consistent in our application of our code of conduct all the way through the, the work week or all the way through the, the college term. If we look at, at K through or, uh, college and university uh, libraries as opposed to K through 12, um, there, there could be a sense that they're open very early, Monday through Monday through Monday, whereas uh, you know, obviously K through 12 libraries are open a shorter amount of time, usually only during the school week. And then when you look at law libraries, because of staffing cuts, and sometimes the, the county does not fund the law library programs as efficiently or effectively as they should because it's sort of an afterthought for some of these legislators. So we may see a cut in hours, especially if we're looking at in the, in the pre or the pandemic, post-pandemic era for, for the coronavirus, we may see uh, situations where the law library is not open very much uh, during the work week. And so the people that come in there sometimes can be stressed out from the fact that, you know, it used to be open Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday. Now it's open Tuesday, Thursday, and every other Friday, something like that. So a little bit of patience about what you can exert some control over when it comes to the schedule. I know the law library directors are doing the best they can with the resources and the budgets they have to be able to staff fully and to provide as much information and open doors as they can during that time span. For the college and university libraries, I'm also seeing, you know, obviously a number of challenges that they're going to face going forward in the, in the coronavirus, post-coronavirus era that we're hopefully coming out of here as we look at the movement towards getting vaccines and getting uh, a stable uh, rates in terms of flattening the curve and the things that we've been talking about for low these four and five months, that, that we're going to see colleges and universities shift into a learning-only modality, which is just all online. Some colleges are going to have kind of a hybrid model where it's some, some folks, kids on campus, and some folks at home learning online. And then some are actually just going back to full classrooms just like before. So I think um, across the spectrum of those three possibilities, distance learning only, a hybrid model, and going back to, to full classroom participation, we're going to see some challenges, uh, the same challenges that we'll see in keeping the, 
city and county libraries safe and clean and hygienically clean. Uh, we're going to have the mask issues and the social distancing issues and, and uh, how the staff will handle the stacks and the recovery of books and keeping the facility clean. So all these things are going to be part of the, of the growing conversation as we come into the, to the end of summer and into the fall term where colleges and universities are going to start back up again in whatever format that they choose. So thanks for listening to the Library Safety and Security podcast, and my thanks to the, the producer, Steve Hargenden, from Library 2.0. Uh, for more information, visit the Library 2.0 website at library20.com. Until next time, I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. Thanks for listening to the Library Safety and Security podcast.